0: Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to Quotenow.biz, and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, I have Andrew Wessling. Andrew is an Associate Director of Capital Markets at Walker & Dunlap based here in Los Angeles, and Andrew is responsible for new loan originations and closings for multifamily and commercial properties nationwide. Throughout his career, Andrew has underwritten and closed more than $1.5 billion in debt and equity financing for properties across the country. Welcome, Andrew. Can you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure thing, Gary. So when I start with Walker and Dunlop, Walker and Dunlop is a national commercial real estate investment sales and finance firm we wear a couple of different hats. We are uh, investment sales broker of multifamily properties nationally. And then on my side of the business, we are financiers. So we are a direct lender. We are a correspondent lender for life insurance companies, and we're a broker of debt and equity for all commercial real estate asset classes nationwide with a emphasis and specialty on multifamily finance, as we are a direct lender for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and HUD for all things multifamily.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So obviously today we're going to be talking about the the current lending environment. And there's a lot of people that hear interest rates rising. I I have investors that reach out and like worried about our deals and, you know, it doesn't go hand in hand. So maybe talk about SOFR
1: and how that's related to interest rates. Sure. So yeah, there's a lot of buzz. We actually have a, a webinar that you can find on our YouTube page that we put out late last year on the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. SOFR is an index. And traditionally, floating rate debt has been priced with an index plus a spread. And that index for a long, long time has been LIBOR, which is the London Interbank offering rate. And LIBOR has fallen out of favor for a number of reasons, one of which is that it potentially or can be manipulated. And so we've now moved over to what's called the Secured Overnight Financing Rate or SOFR, S-O-F-R. And schematically, it really doesn't change because now instead of having LIBOR plus a spread, your floating rate loans will be quoted as SOFR plus a spread. Coincidentally, they're actually very close to each other in value right now, whereas one month LIBOR, I think, is about 11 basis points today. SOFR is about five. And so unless you're in process on a current loan that was quoted under LIBOR and then now is transitioning into SOFR, you probably won't have much fallout from the change but if you do have floating rate loans that are priced over libor your loan docs will have a provision that allows the lender to change to SOFR and likely also adjust that spread slightly to maintain the all in coupon so that it doesn't go in one one party's favor or the other
0: nice and so you know when people hear oh the fed's going to raise interest rates you know let's say 750 bps this year they're worried that their multifamily loans are going to go up that much but and that's not the case
1: that's right. You know, typically, especially on floating rate loans and in the multifamily space, you know, such a big component of the financing is bridge loans for value add properties. And of course, you need floating rate financing for that because you have uh, capital that's used to acquire the property and then capital that's used to add value to the property, the capital expenditures, right? To turn units, paint and carpet, the whole thing. And so what a bridge loan does is it allows for uh, continuous and ongoing funding of that capital throughout the life of a loan, which a fixed rate loan doesn't apply for or allow for. And what we see and the common practice is that you actually have a interest rate cap on those floating rate loans. And so despite interest rates going up, you are likely capped on an annual or biannual basis as to how far that interest rate can move on a basis. And so from a protective standpoint, yes, interest rates moving up will be probably a defensive move overall for the market because you will be able to qualify or a property will qualify for less on new loans going forward on both fixed rate loans and floating rate loans with interest rate caps. You're protected essentially based on that cap moving up.
0: Nice, nice. And obviously, bridge loans have been... When many people are using bridge loans these days to get the leverage they want, you're still getting a low rate and you're able to get out of properties without a huge prepayment penalty in under five years and quite honestly, in under three years these days. Is there some kind of other product out there? I know there's the Freddie Floater or some other products that maybe give... Investors, you know, they hear bridge sometimes, and they get like, "Oh, you're you're too risky," you know. But there are other options out there that don't have such a harsh prepayment penalty. Maybe not as much leverage, but somewhere in the middle than the let's say agency, your typical agency debt.
1: Sure. And that's the beauty of the capital markets and and the position where Walker Dunlop sits. We are, again, a direct lender or a correspondent lender that represents life insurance companies and we're a broker. And so we're typically hired on an exclusive basis and we vet the entire market. And so... You may have one transaction, but we can quote it about 100 different ways. And we can tailor a debt solution and even an equity solution to your needs as a sponsor. And so it really depends on the business plan, your risk tolerance, and obviously the business plan for the specific asset. But the answer in short is yes. Now, when you're talking about leverage, bridge loans tend to offer the highest leverage in the space because you're typically underwriting A, on an interest-only basis, and B, using the ability to look at performer rents and the exit to size your loan rather than being confined by the in-place cash flow, especially on a value add deal. If the multifamily property has below market rents going in, a fixed rate loan is only going to offer you sort of a peanuts compared to what you could get once that value add is completed. Whereas a bridge loan allows you essentially to take that leverage up front, on the acquisition, and then also give you the capex ongoing throughout to get to that value add stabilized property. Now, when you're talking about an exit, and obviously agency loans historically are inflexible loans, right? Typically, you know it, when you go and get a Fannie or Freddie quote, it's a 10 year fixed rate loan with nine and a half years of yield maintenance that's open probably for the last six months. And that's just, again, it's an inflexible way, but it's also the cheapest cost of capital out there because the more inflexible your loan, typically the bigger discount you can get on the cost of that debt. And so there are other capital providers. And even within Fannie and Freddie, you can do what we call a, a SARM or a floating right arm for a longer period of time, a five or seven year Type deal that have more flexible prepayment penalties. There are also folks like credit unions. The federally chartered credit unions do not offer prepayment penalties. And that's on five, seven, and 10 year fixed rate loans typically. State chartered credit unions are typically very flexible or short prepay windows. So on a seven or a 10 year loan, it could be a two one open or a three two one open. And so the difference is. And again, it comes down to sort of sponsor preference is, are you willing to pay more of an origination fee and potentially a higher rate upfront to obtain that flexibility? Or would you really need the lowest cost of capital? And if that's the case, that's why agency debt can be so attractive on a 10 or a 15 year fixed rate loan, even though you're tied up in yield maintenance for almost that entire period. That's the way that they get their yield to make sure that they're getting paid.
0: It's so funny. So many sponsors,
1: you know, before the thing was get long-term
0: financing, even though if the business plan was five years, they're getting 10 to 12-year debt, and now you've got massive prepayment penalties. on one of our deals that we sold, We, I mean, it was still a huge return to our investors, but we took a $3 million prepayment penalty just because we had long-term financing. And so now, I mean, as you know, I mean, it just swayed so much the other way to bridge and... We'll see what, how that shakes out in a few years.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, it's funny, you know, it's almost a, a double-edged sword because as a sponsor, if you accelerate your timeline and you hit your year five performa in year two, what's your option, right? If you hold that deal through year five, your IRR slowly starts to decrease because the longer the duration, the lower your IRR. So if you've already hit your target in year two and a half years in, you're kind of forced to sell. Right. And so obviously you didn't plan for that. And so then there could be a much stricter or a higher prepayment penalty. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty good place to be in because you're likely paying less in that than you would have been funding it by common equity per se. But it's deal by deal. And there are avenues to maybe extract some of that trapped equity. You know, within Walker and Dunlop, we have funds that offer preferred equity. On deals that can go behind agency. It was actually built to go behind Fannie and Freddie, but we'll do it behind some of our life company debt as well. And so, with that, you can, you know, we're doing a lot of recapitalizations now that they've increased in value so much over the last 24 months that instead of selling and realizing those gains, you can just tack on additional debt behind your senior without having to touch that prepayment penalty. It's been a really nice option for a lot of folks to tap some of that trapped equity of late.
0: Yeah, we did that in one of our deals. We actually got a supplemental, and mm-hmm. then we bought in pref equity. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's there's a, there's a cap on the pref equity, so the upside is tremendous, and that'll be one of my best deals, quite honestly.
1: Yeah, and, and I, let's actually let's for the listeners that don't know, let's talk what a supplemental is. So this is pretty much exclusive to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And it's one of the benefits of doing agency long-term perm financing once you've stabilized your multifamily property. So once you put your, your fixed rate loan in place, that's your senior first trust deed. At some point down the line, if you've continued to raise rents and you've had appreciation and there is now additional equity below your original LTV STIPS and DSCR STIPS, you can go back to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and they will fund a second trust deed or in some cases, a third trust deed, or in some cases, a fourth trustee that we've done in the past. And it will be coterminous with your first. There is a bit of a premium in rate, but it's not much. But what it does is it, instead of refinancing the entire first trust deed and uh, having to pay prepayment penalties and, and do all that, you essentially leave that big chunk of money in place and you're able to extract some of that equity through a, a supplemental that's collateralized by the property. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks
0: for going in about the uh, supplemental. We should also talk about the prep equity too, because they're in position before common equity investors and they'll suck up a lot of the cash flow. But the benefit is there, there is that cap and that cap could be you know anywhere from 12 to 14%. So mm-hmm. if you've got a smoking hot deal, it really, really just shoots up the IRR.
1: Absolutely. And again, you know, it's cheaper than common equity, right? I know it looks, it sounds expensive at first, but what are you paying your common equity? It could be 18 or a 20 plus if you really knock out the business plan. So yeah, again, it's a great way and it's a it's a really interesting option. And for folks who are sort of doing more and more deals and they're looking at ways to make deals pencil in a low cap rate environment, sometimes you got to get creative. And so, you know, having the ability to put pref behind your floating rate bridge debt is a great way to do that. And again, if you're just Confident in your execution, and you're going to hit your rents, and you know it's going to be a, a fairly short-term play, and you're going to sell. Then you're going to make all your money on the back end. And you're going to hit your IRR either way. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: you know, as, as sponsors are in this game a little longer, they tend to you know trend up to bigger deals. You know, from a five million dollar loan to a ten million dollar loan to a twenty-five million dollar loan or bigger. And so, mm-hmm. what are what are some of the things that they should be aware of, and how do these loans differ?
1: The first one. It might be fairly obvious, but I like to point it out is that the costs of a transaction on the debt side are essentially the same on a $1 million dollar deal as it is on a $25 million dollar deal. You know, really everything except legal is essentially flat on that curve. And so when you look at your cost of your closing costs as a percentage of loan dollars, it's more attractive as you go up the stack. And so the bigger deals that you do, it's much more tolerable. And so most people prefer as they start doing bigger deals, they start realizing there's an economies of scale and that they're actually saving money over time and keeping that in their pocket, as opposed to paying those fees out to say the lender or whomever it may be to third-party providers. But really, as you grow so too does your experience and your balance sheet must grow with it. And so as we always talk about, there's typically a rule of thumb that we like to see as lenders from our sponsor. One is skin in the game, and two is your balance sheet. And so skin in the game, it varies. You know, Freddie Mac allows as little as 1% from the sponsor in a syndication, whereas Fannie Mae, it's lender by lender on who the actual dust, the delegator underwrite servicer is. But at Walker & Dunlop, we tend to at least like to see 5% of the equity stack provided by the sponsor. But if it's in a more tertiary market or if they're a less experienced sponsor, we may want to see 10% plus even on PREF, when we're putting PREF behind it, our partner that puts our PREF behind, Ivanhoe Cambridge, they need a minimum of 10% skin in the game as well. So as you're looking at these deals, you know your participation may actually be increasing as you go, meaning that you'll have to put more of your own personal liquidity into the deal. Secondarily to that is if you're putting more of your own personal liquidity into the deal, we also need post-closing liquidity on your balance sheet. And so we look at two factors, total net worth, And post closing liquidity. And there's schools of thought and there's sort of rules of thumb. And I'll give you the most conservative. Typically, when you take out a loan, especially with agency, they have a one to one total net worth to loan ratio. So if you're taking a $25 million loan, we'd like our sponsor to have a net worth of $25 million or more. On the liquidity side, I typically tend to tell sponsors we'd like to see 10% of the loan amount in post closing liquidity on your balance sheet after we close. So again, on a $25 million loan, that could be two and a half to $5 million. Now, that's excessive in my opinion. Most of the time, even with Freddie Mac, we can see six to nine months of debt service as sufficient, typically amortized even on an interest-only loan. So as a rule of thumb, I like to say 12 months of debt service, up to 10% of the loan amount.
0: And I know you don't have a crystal ball and I'm putting you on the spot, but if you were to guess, where do you see multifamily rates in like six months, 12 months
1: from now? I think inflation is such, and the writing is on the wall, that we will see short-term interest rate, the overnight funds rate, hiked multiple times here in 2022. That will have upward pressure across the yield curve. Again, we're pricing bridge debt, typically sofer plus an index. When we're talking fixed rate, we typically talk pricing in terms of the 10-year treasury plus a spread. And I think in both of those cases, you'll see both indexes, SOFR and the 10-year rise. It wouldn't surprise me if we had a two and a quarter 10-year by the end of this year. If that's the case, I think short-term rates also will hike. So even if SOFR doesn't move tremendously, I think you'll see spreads move. To pay for that yield, the lenders need to, if they're taking that risk, they need to get compensated. But the bigger question to me, other than interest rates, is what is the true correlation between interest rates and cap rates? And will there be any seller expectations or a reset of expectations as rates rise? Because typically as rates rise, less and less debt is available, right? And so if that's the case, are sellers going to be willing to part with their properties for lower prices? And that will become potentially a schism in the market, or even a freeze in the market, until sellers realize that hey, maybe these folks they're not able to get to the prices that we once thought we were going to be able to get to, even in the past twelve months. And so that, to me, is just as important as you know where do rates go is where do cap rates go in conjunction.
0: Yeah, and and obviously they don't move hand in hand, and it'll, it'll be interesting. I don't see cap rates moving. That much over the next 12 months.
1: The other interesting part is, you know, there's we keep on talking about it. There's so much capital out there that's chasing yield, right? Equity capital is out in force. And over the last three to five years, debt capital has been the same way. But as interest rates start to go up, the question is will there still be as much debt capital available? But if there really is that much equity capital, are folks just going to be going in maybe more all cash offers? buying properties just to buy properties to put that capital to use. Because even if the 10-year goes to two and a quarter, you know, as a risk-free investment, you're probably getting still a return of 4 to 5%, even if you're buying properties all cash. So there's still yield to be found compared to other asset classes as investments. And it'll be interesting to see how buyers adapt to a rising interest rate market if sellers don't.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking about the current lending environment. It's you know, constantly evolving and it's great to it's for me to get a refresher and for all of
1: our listeners. Could you tell the listeners where they can find out more about you? Sure. You can always reach our website. It's www.walkerdunlop.com. I'm here in Los Angeles. I'm available by email and by phone. My direct line is area code 310-979-5756. And you can always email me. I'm always happy to chat deals. I'm a deal junkie, as you know, and all my friends know. But my email address is first initial of my first name, followed by last name. So it's A Westling, W E S T L I N G, at Walkerdunlop.com. All right. Thank you, Andrew.
0: And to all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and like, subscribe and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do, head over to breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.